Welcome to the Gate Crashers Podcast, where we storm the gates of publishing and dare to talk about the realities of the industry. I'm your Ivory Tower representative, Amanda Liedeke, literary agent and vice president at McGregor and Liedeke. And I'm your self-publishing insider, Carice Crow, novelist and speaker. Because we are so on top of things, last, last week's episode was the 100th episode of the Gate Crashers podcast, and we forgot to say anything about it. We did not commemorate that whatsoever. We did not. So we're going to do that now. <laughs> Let's get out your party supplies, pop the champagne, get the little confetti poppers. 100 episodes, Amanda. Yeah. Can you believe it? Three no. seasons. <laughs> From off of, I think it was like one text, you were like, we should do a podcast. Mm -hmm. And then you sent me a sample of your podcast voice. And I was like, oh, I am far outclassed here. <laughs> but sure, I'll join in. Why not? <laughs> it was a really hammed up version of my podcast voice. A little bit. Yeah. But yeah, I, we gave it a go. It got good response from industry professionals and, and listeners. And yeah, it's been fun and it's been a good way to kind of stay, to, to keep a voice in the space, especially with everything we've been going through the past yeah. year or so with the closing of events and all of that stuff. It's just the podcast has been good to try to stay relevant. Yeah. I can't tell you how much that feedback has meant to me from just regular listeners yeah. all the way up to like editors in New York houses to yeah. hear that we're doing something that helps people and, and feeds into something positive has been wonderful. Yes. And I mean, specifically, I'll, I remember when an editor from Hachette wrote us to say, to tell Carice not to give up, to, <laughs> to tell her. To... <laughs> Didn't editor from Hachette. <laughs> I didn't give up. I hope you've heard my updates lately about my big writing days. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you're proud of me. Like I'm proud of me too. So it's been, it's been good. And, um, as our listeners know, as you all know, we started a tip jar, uh, some maybe like, I don't know, six months ago, nine months ago. I don't know. I can't keep track of things. Um, but I wanted to give a shout out to some folks who dropped a tip in the tip jar, uh, over the past I think over, over the summer, Amy, Misty, and Elizabeth, thank you so much for your tips. They are going to be put to good use. I think we're going to use them to blast the podcast out to get even more listeners and more, just, just more momentum for us yes. going forward so that we can continue to provide great content. Thank you for your support guys. So for today's episode, our 101 episode, 101 are there, episode. Are there Dalmatians? <laughs> Tell me there's Dalmatians. It would be a shortage of Dalmatians if that's the case, because we are talking, we are giving kind of a COVID update, pandemic update, you know, state of the mm -hmm. union address. And we are now seeing the supply chain shortages that Chris, you and I talked about around this time last year, like yeah. this is going to be happening and it's definitely here. Yeah. I've seen the articles on it and it is concerning. And a lot of it, it seems like it's hitting the traditional side harder than it's hitting the self-publishing side. You know, we still do events whenever we possibly can, whenever restrictions allow, and we're probably buying books once every two to three weeks or so, just kind of mm -hmm. depending on what our personal stock is. 
but you know the amount of inventory that we're purchasing is somewhere in the range of you know 50 to 100 copies mm-hmm. and it's with a company that you know when we place the order they've got it done probably by the next day with certainly within two business days and it's being shipped out but they're they're built mm-hmm. for people like us you know they're built to print books on demand for you and mm-hmm. send them out in smaller quantities so I don't see it happening to us personally, but that's, it's a whole different ballgame when you're talking about a publisher mm-hmm. who's ordering tens of thousands of copies. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, pulled the um, write-up in Publishers Lunch that went out October 6th, and that it was just a bunch of updates on the supply chain issues. And I highlighted a few quotes that I thought would be relevant to our conversation. Let's see, it says Chronicle Books president Tyrell Mahoney made it clear that if illustrated books printed overseas are not in a boat on the water now, they are unlikely to make holiday delivery. Wow. So there's this push for everyone for your Christmas shopping, pre-order those books now, buy those books now because they may not be here. They may not be available for the holiday rush because even if an order shows up, they're not going to get the reorder in, in time. And I've also heard on the radio today that like the toy industry is also going to feel a massive crunch because they're not getting it. I mean, we've seen it with Halloween costumes, the Halloween costumes section in stores is like half of what it usually is. Yes. So we're starting to see this and books are not immune to that. So because a lot of books are printed overseas, shift over in a boat, and then we move them around Get them the where country. they need to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another quote from the write-up, to account for the slowdowns, publishers have had to extend their production schedules. A spokesperson for Macmillan said, we now order first prints and reprints two to four months in advance for domestic. It used to be four to six weeks. For titles printed overseas, we now order first prints and reprints five to eight months in advance. Wow. It used to be three to six months. It makes me concerned for the traditional authors, especially like the first time, you know, authors mm-hmm. or anything, you know, if you don't have that proven sales track, I wonder how a traditional publisher would handle that if they mm-hmm. would, do you double down on that author knowing about the bottleneck? Do you do the first print and a, another reprint immediately? Or do you just do the first print? And then if it sells really well, yeah, what do you that- do? You know, that, um, they actually addressed that in this write up and it's like a mix of that. If they sense that a book is going to go bonkers, they will order a reprint sometimes before the first even hits shelves. Yeah. So they're just like trying to be ahead of the curve. They're also giving retailers, uh, some more flexibility with repayment plans because, mm-hmm of just the timing issue and cash flow crunch, which happens to almost every, you know, s- small business at one point or another. Um, so they're trying to, to address that. But to your point, like if you're a, a smaller name author or a debut author, and they just don't know what's going to happen with your book, you probably are going to run into a situation where stock is like done, like there is right. no stock and you're mm-hmm. going to have to wait for it to come back. And then there's the question of, well, are people still going to care once the three months have passed and we get access to more product, are, pe- are people still going to want to buy it if time right. passes? And so I've known publishers, uh, there've been a few cases where publishers have moved the publication dates of books 
to try to offset, first of all, to try to offset the fact that the first print is running late. <laughs> and then also right. to try to anticipate, you know, how, if we push the release date, will that put us in a better position going forward for this book? The write-up makes it clear that the issue is with, like there are shortages with ink, paper, pulp, like every stage of shipping, like there's a shortage everywhere. And it's, it's a shortage of materials and manpower, a shortage of shipping containers, a shortage of trucks, like everything right. being affected. It's not just like one thing. Right. It's not like somebody ran out of glue, you mm-hmm. know? So this isn't going to be solved quickly no. when no. you've got issues that run the whole chain like that. Mm-hmm. This is still going to be going on a year from now. Mm-hmm. That too. Yes. Good prediction. Cause the, uh, the write-up closed by saying a director of sales at Versa press said that they think it will end around the fourth quarter of 2022 at the earliest. Wow. So that we're looking at a year and the, the write-up um, mentioned, they did mention self-publishing. So here's for you, Carice, take this for what it is. The, it said, um, Ingram spark, which is the self-publishing arm mm-hmm. of, um, Ingram, uh, it warned customers of labor and transportation challenges that may contribute to delays in the fourth quarter this year. Even if your books are printed, shortages of truck drivers and staff at warehouses and ports are felt across the supply chain, um, as are increases in shipping costs. So that's something that there will probably eventually be some kind of ramification for the self-pub author who's ordering books from Ingram or whatever and getting them shipped. You right. may run into increased shipping costs longer wait times. So then it's a question of, do you make bigger orders and just try to like flow the money that way? Yeah. We use bookprintondemand.com and they have always done a really good job for us. Anytime we've had any kind of mistake or, Hey, this cover is not quite, they've always taken really good care of us. So if you're having issues my fellow self-publishers and you need some copies, I would look there because they've, they've always done right by us. What else is affecting book publishing these days? What have you found, Carice? So one of the things that I've seen, and I actually spoke to an indie publisher about this earlier this year, has been, and it's partially been due to the pandemic, and I think it's also partially due to people just trying to make money off of their backlog, and it's audiobooks. Um, if you're not in the know, um, a good rule of thumb is that about 33% of your sales, if you're, you know, Kindle exclusive are going to be from your audiobooks. So that really helps a lot of authors kind of figure out, okay, where are my sales at right now? Does it make financial sense for me to invest in having a professional audiobook done? Because to do it right, it's not cheap. You know, this is not something that you're going to get a quality product off of $250 from Fiverr. This is <laughs> going to set you back a nice penny. And so if your sales aren't there, then it doesn't make any sense, right? Mm-hmm. But if you are making, you know, $10,000 when you release a new book, okay, let's let's look at start doing some audiobooks. That would be mm-hmm. a significant boost. And what's been happening is instead of, you know, your Audible credit that you get for that $15 a month subscription. Why would you spend that on this author's one new novel when you can buy an entire 15 book series (laughs) backlog from another author for the same amount of money? Why would you, why would you accept 
that little amount of content. And I say little sarcastically because mm-hmm. I think it's a bit ridiculous. But yeah, there are book sets that are um, that are out on Audible that are just killing, killing a ton of people's income. Are these sets from traditional published authors and through traditional? It's both. It's, it's both. both traditional and it's self-published. Like the people who've been in self-publishing for ages, if they've got if they've got it, why not? You know, those people. (laughs) And I mean, you know, on one hand, you know, free market and, you know, you got to do what you got to do to try to make ends meet. But on the other hand, it's just widening that gap Mm -hmm. between when you start out as a published author and when you reach financial independence from Mm -hmm. your work. I'm not a huge audiobook person, but if I was, I would still use a credit on one book by one of my very favorite authors that wouldn't bother me because I love their work so much and I want to keep up to date with it. That works fine on the small scale, but when you start scaling that up and the millions of purchases that go on through Audible, it's making a big difference and it's hmm. it's kind of killing part of the market. That's interesting. I hadn't heard about that. Yeah. And I, I bet you that when I go to the self-publishing conference in November, there will be, there will be talks of this and I'm betting it's going to be in support of it, of, Oh, I'm sure. You know what? Like record your own and get it all out there and make it all available and disrupt the industry. (laughs) Okay. But Uh, the only metaphor that's coming to mind is not appropriate. So yeah, you don't, mm, mm -mm. You don't bite the hand that feeds you. There we right. go. That's a better one. Mm-hmm. And this has been a thing with the self-publishing community. Like they disrupt it to the, not that they're the only ones doing this, but you know, they're disrupting it to the point of hurting themselves in the long run. Because if you can, if you continue to promise all of this content for next to nothing, that's what your readers will then can, that's what they'll expect from you going forward. Like you are yeah. setting the expectations that I'm, I'm worth 15 audiobooks for one credit. Mm-hmm. Like, is that really what the kind of relationship you want to have with your Gross. readers? Ooh. For me as an agent, something that I've noticed, and I don't know if this is like true for this time or if it's always been this way. And I just didn't notice it before, but it feels like communication with publishers is way more disjointed than it used to be. Hmm. And it just feels like it's harder to get everyone on the same page for a book's vision. And I've been running into this with, I would say primarily with mid-sized houses where yeah, that makes sense. the, you know, the smaller houses, they still really want to please the author and make the author happy. And there's like a little bit of disjoint now and then, I guess, and now I'm thinking of an example in which it was really bad, which like the publisher bought a project that then it was very clear that they hadn't actually read. Oh no. <laughs> Just like, what is, oh, why no. are we having this conversation? I really want to hear that story. <laughs> they, yeah. I mean, I could see how this would happen in mid houses more yeah. frequently because mm-hmm. I've known so many indie houses where it's like, well, I live in North Carolina and my you know, co-CEO is out in California. We just make it work. Like mm-hmm. indie houses are sometimes like that where there's not a physical yeah. home base. So pandemic right. didn't affect that as much. And then big houses, I would just expect them to be such a well-oiled machine right. that like nothing's going to slow it down unless the entire 
you know, assembly system for books falls apart. Right. <laughs> but right aside, yeah. the mid-sized houses, you're absolutely right. They just, they don't always have that set process and there's maybe more turnover or there's just more like mm-hmm. things getting shuffled around people were working, working from home when they weren't used to doing that before. And the marketing calls aren't what they used to be and communication between author and publisher isn't what it used to be. And the editor is MIA when they used to be more involved. So it's just, that's one thing I've noticed and it's been frustrating going forward. And there's something intangible about having those face-to-face meetings between, you know, the creative people at the publishing house that it just doesn't always get communicated over webcam. Absolutely right. If they're doing their book cover conversations virtually, if they're doing their Mm. title naming conversations or their social media, like what's our strategy for this book? If all those conversations are happening, happening virtually, there's just something that's lost. And don't get me wrong. I am a huge proponent proponent of working from home and letting people just choose their work hours and giving people room to breathe. Right. But you just don't get the same energy about a project when you aren't all coming together and really rallying together in person right. about a book. And that, that energy can lead to some of the better ideas for the mm-hmm. project too. You know, advertising wise, book cover wise, how do we get the word out kind mm-hmm. of thing. Sometimes that just only happens in person. If you feel like you might have been forgotten or left behind... Uh, reach out to your agent, let them know that you feel that way and see if there's anything that they can do to kind of get things back on track. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Gate Crashers podcast. If you found value in this episode or in any of the episodes we've done, you can drop a tip in our tip jar. You can send a tip via PayPal. Simply use our link paypal.me slash gatecrashers or log into PayPal and search us using our username, which is at gatecrashers. And be sure to be here next week for a brand new episode.